0: Life
1: is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one
0: Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. I hope this episode finds you well. I'm all right, just a bit stressed, um, been on my phone way too much, 13, 14 hours a day, sometimes just reading the news and Twitter and Instagram and watching the news cycle continue to be so devastating and scary and watching all the vitriol and bloodthirst online, all the bigotry that seems to be pouring out because after any moment of progress, there's always a horrific backlash. I um, also am incredibly disheartened watching the way that the government is utilising a moment of distraction and chaos and panic to take away more and more rights from the most marginalised people. It's just pretty devastating and I'm starting to have actual panic attacks so if you are out there and also struggling know that while it is important to be informed and engaged and helpful you don't have to be plugged in all of the time because you're just going to burn out and then be no good to anyone. So maybe we all need to scale back a bit. Um, Speaking of rights being taken away, over in the UK, trans rights are being rolled back. And I was very lucky to be able to get hold of the very busy and very important and very extraordinary world-famous trans activist, Monroe Bergdorf. She is a young black trans woman and has a very specific and unique lens. And so... Articulate and smart and funny and human in this episode and just gave me... It's so rare when someone with such a big platform is so willing to be so unguarded with you. And she just went all the way there with me. I do have to give you a trigger warning. At one point, we talk about some very, very upsetting sexual violence that she was on the receiving end of, um, we talk about it kind of just past halfway or towards the end of this episode, and it might be upsetting for you to hear. I think it's important to hear about if it's something that won't um, hurt and trigger you, but uh, it really gives you a full sense, her full explanation of her experience on this podcast really gives you a sense of what it's like for her, for people like her, for people in the trans community, what their day-to-day existence is like, how much danger they are in. Because all we keep fucking hearing about at the moment is how afraid predominantly middle-class white cis women are of trans people. And part of this is because the same sort of 12 cases Throughout history of a trans woman committing some sort of violence against a cis woman, those same 12 stories are being circulated again and again and again and again and again and and being used as a weapon, as a tool to classify all of the trans community as the same that they are all the same as these, this small minority of offenders. Now, this is a classic bigoted trope that is used. I mean, it was used against people who look like me after 9-11, all of a sudden we were all uh, terrorists and we all wanted to kill and blow up white people and we all had bombs on us. It's unbelievable how fast the minority are used to represent the majority of an entire marginalised group in order to justify otherizing them. We talk about this more in the podcast, but it just, it watching this happen again and remembering what it felt like after 911 really triggered something in me and really emboldened me to make sure that we understand how much misinformation we are being told and how much fear mongering is happening in order to justify taking away the rights of people who are doing nothing wrong they are just trying to live peacefully and happily and lovingly people like Monroe so I hope you enjoy this episode she's truly just one of a kind and I learned so much I was gripped I didn't want it to end and I am so proud to have been given the opportunity to sit down with her she's someone that I really care for deeply and we have been working a lot together very recently and I'm so excited for you to be introduced to her if you are not already following her online but I suggest you do because you'll learn so much as I have enjoy this episode take care wash your hands lots of love How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Bloody hell! What a time for us to be having this conversation. It's like the world is on fire. It feels like mm. there's progress happening in so many different areas, and then unbelievable setbacks in other and in others. And and that's part of why I couldn't think of anyone more important to talk to or someone that I learn more from than you and in this moment in history you are a black trans woman we are at this historical intersection of the uprising of black people around the world fighting against white supremacy and pride is happening and lgbtq laws are being passed in favor of that community in the usa and then in the same week britain where you live passing laws to reduce the rights of trans people specifically how the fuck are you uh With considering <laughs> that, like I know you're currently okay, but how are you processing everything that's going on in the world? You right know, now?
2: you know what I'm. I'm trying to focus on. I'm trying to stay aware of what's happening, but I'm also trying to like process the good. Yes, And the good is that we've never been more organized. Mm -hmm. We've never been more rallied. um, We've never been communicating like we are and aware of, you know, um, the tactics of the governments and, uh, you know, the distraction tactics and all of of this. So I feel like we're, we're moving into a stage of mass enlightenment Mm -hmm. and I'm choosing to look at that rather than look at all of the, awful things going on in the mm-hmm. world because they've always been there you know I just feel like it's all now coming to a head because governments are weak um they're you know they're not coping well with COVID-19 they're not coping well with black people um calling out and rising up against racism they're not coping well um you know being held to account with all of the other things that they have to deal with such as Grenfell such as the Windwash scandals there's like a lot going on right now, but I think I'm focusing on the fact that we've never been more cohesive as allies and as a community. For
1: sure. And also, I mean, I've been talking about this a lot, that part of what I think makes this moment so powerful, for all the shit that all of us rightfully talk about social media and the access it gives some terrible people, social media mm. has massively been responsible for worldwide mobilisation, especially what with what we're seeing, yeah. not only with Pride, but with the Black Lives Matter movement, which is just like, it's just... Really. It's amazing. And I'm loving
2: how plat, I'm loving how platforms have changed as well, like how TikTok's changed and become like a, um, a platform of information for protesting and all of the things I was watching videos about, like how to modify your phone for protesting and activism to make sure that you're not traced and that it's used against you and things like that. And, um, all of like everybody becoming not everybody we we've known about this, but allies and largely white people becoming a lot more active um in being anti racist and finally getting it after you know we've been speaking about this for years, yeah, <laughs> so uh, decades um so it's it's amazing to see the change actually happening
1: yeah, I agree, I think it's really important now i mean it's it all could have happened sooner, (laughs) but I'm glad it's happening now. And I think all (laughs) of us are registering our own sort of inaction. I've spoken about this before on the podcast and taking accountability and recognizing, okay, there's always more we can do. And something really moving happened last week, which was the, there was a rally for Black Trans Lives in Brooklyn.
2: Incredible. And I think during this time, I'm seeing things happen that I never thought were, was ever going to happen. You know, I never thought that white people would ever say, right, we've got work to do. Mm. Like, I we've been asking for that for decades, you know, ever since, like, you know, the Black Panther Party to, um you know, the AIDS crisis. Like, people have, like, stood idly by and watch people die for too long. Mm. So I never thought that that was going to change. And um, it's starting to, and to see 15,000 people rally for Black transgender women, yeah. that that was amazing. And it came on a day when I really, really needed it. Um, because... The British government have decided to leak information to the press about their intentions of winding back transgender rights and um, making it harder for trans people to self identify um, or transition um, into the gender identity that we uh, identify as, um, but also to reduce our access to women only spaces. And it's transgender women being targeted, not transgender men. Mm-hmm. Um, even though transgender men are affected, the it's just heavily misogynistic. Mm. And that's the issue, is that we're dealing with misogyny, we're dealing with racism, we're dealing with white supremacy, we're dealing with all of these different forms of oppression all piling up together, but they all are rooted in white supremacy. So we can't be speaking about Black Lives Matter if we're not including the trans narrative. So it makes me so happy to see transgender women being rallied.
1: for. Yeah, and at the very start of this, uh, this moment that we're in a couple of weeks ago, straight after the murder of George Floyd, you know, we started to see a lot of news about any black man, cis man, who was, uh, who was killed, uh, especially by white supremacists mm. or, or police, but we weren't seeing that same energy for people like Breonna Taylor, or trans people like Tony McDade, <laughs> and all the different people who we've lost. And so it definitely feels like there is some sort of much needed groundswell happening when it comes to acknowledging that all black lives matter and that the women well, exactly. and trans people have been forgotten until now and it feels like that is no longer being accepted which I think is it's no wonderful. longer
2: being accepted but we've we've got so we've got yes. so far to go of course like Breonna Taylor's um killers are, are still on the lo- yeah. <laughs> like still working I mean, but they're on the list but they're policemen they passed so- a law
1: called Breonna's Law to stop that from ever happening again but have not charged the officers who have done what has created that law. It, it makes Absolutely no sense wild. to me. So yeah, I mean, there's there's still so much to do, but it just feels like we are we are in a moment of such global accountability, one that I think mm-hmm. is the only way that we can move forward from this. And it just feels like, and I'm so happy to see this happen. And I wish it didn't have to happen in this day and age, but it feels like there's mm-hmm. no turning back now. It feels like we're not going to go we're not going to move backwards. It's never going to happen. I feel like people are going to be hired. Black people are going to be hired at um, bigger positions and more executive positions. And we're seeing those hires happening in front of us. We're seeing black literature being sold and we're seeing people Mm -hmm. like you and your platforms exploding and Rachel Cargill and Ibram Kendi and all these different amazing people finally being really listened to. And so...
2: It makes me so happy because, yeah. you know, I, 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 as I said, I never thought that this was going to ever happen, mm. um, to our community. Um, but I feel that the difference now is that we're not speaking about, uh, we're not speaking about, um, awareness. We're speaking about action. Mm. We're speaking about what we're demanding. You know, we're demanding respect. We're not asking for respect or tolerance anymore. Yeah. That's not happening. I saw an amazing speech that wasn't Actually, during this time, it was before, but it was Dominique, um, from Pose, and she was speaking about, you know, I'm not asking for your acceptance anymore. You will respect me. And that's really the energy that we're in right now. It's about, this is real. You cannot deny that racism is real anymore. Mm -hmm. It is right here. You can see the stats. You can see the disproportionate effects of COVID-19. Um, But what are the governments going to do about it? So I think it's all about now holding governments and holding big, big, big businesses Mm -hmm. and um, corporations accountable and saying that, you know, you need to be part of the change. It can't just be us. This this is on you guys. No,
1: everyone's coming out in the wash. We're seeing all kinds of big corporations <laughs> being uh being <laughs> called out, which we'll talk a bit more about later. Will you talk to me about the British government's move on the GRA for those who don't understand?
2: Yeah. So this has been going on for a very long time, for about four years now, and um, the government set underneath Theresa May's government said that they wanted to um, reform the Gender Recognition Act and have a consultation. And what is um, the Gender Recognition Act? Sorry. So the Gender Recognition Act. um, Oh my God. Um, Gender Recognition Act basically reforming it would make it easier for a trans person Mm -hmm. to transition. So right now for a transgender person to transition is quite an arduous process. It's, you need to like jump through hoops go and see this person, then go to that person, that person refers you to them. And then you go there and then you wait for two years and then you transition. So this would make it a lot easier. Well, it it was meant to make it a lot easier for trans people to self-identify and skip all of these, um, you know, jumping through hoops. Um, but During that time, this section or branch of feminism, which isn't feminism, called trans-exclusional radical feminism Mm -hmm. or gender-critical feminism, have been campaigning against the trans community to say that this puts cisgender women in danger, which is ridiculous because there's no stats to say that trans women are, by nature, sexual abusers. Mm -hmm. If anything, it's trans women being sexually abused and attacked and murdered. But the papers, the conservative press are as doing what they usually do of pushing a narrative of traditionalism. And there's only two genders and um transgender women aren't women, they're men. And if you let transgender women into the bathrooms, then you're putting trans, you're putting cisgender women at risk, which is ridiculous because that would say that, that is of the mindset that an abuser is going to transition to sexually her, sexually abuse somebody, which why would they do that? you know a, a, a rapist is going to rape somebody, they're not going to make their life ten times harder to then <laughs> go and like rape somebody mm-hmm. like it's, it's just it doesn't make any sense. And they're now saying that um, you know transgender women who have male anatomy male anatomy um, are no longer going to be allowed in women's refuges or female how, spaces. How the
1: fuck are they gonna monitor that? Are we all getting? This are we all I- taking down our knickers? Like what's happening?
2: Yeah, this is what I said. It doesn't, how, how are they going to enforce this? And this is the issue is that it isn't actually about this. It's a distraction tactic by the government because they haven't addressed the Grenfell disaster. They haven't addressed the racism that was encountered during the Windrush scandal. They, um, are trying to distract from the amount of people that have died from COVID-19 and how poorly they reacted. They're trying to distract from the Dominic Cummings scandal. There's so many shortcomings of the government and there's shortcomings of Trump as well. So they're taking the trans community, um, a largely misunderstood community, and weaponizing that with their racist and homophobic and transphobic base. Mm-hmm. Um So I... I'm not taking it personally insofar as I know that it's not necessarily about us. It's about them. And we just need to just make sure that we kick them while they're down and get rallied and get organized and sign petitions, write letters to your MPs, Mm -hmm. write letters to the Prime Minister as well. I posted a link in... um, my Instagram today. And, you know, there's stuff that we can do and mm. um, whether or not they take it on board is another thing, but we need to do what we can.
1: For sure, absolutely. And I think it's important that, you know, we're seeing, especially after J.K. Rowling's uh, tweets that started a huge storm on social media uh, where she was not pro uh, all of trans rights and definitely not pro the GRA being, well, something that would be easier to pass. Uh, she... Mm. I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to drag you back into all of this because you and I were really um, (laughs) in the middle of it (laughs) on social media uh, last week. But my point being that we're seeing a lot of talk about this and it's important that we address some of the typical tactics used by people i don't even know if i would call them trans exclusionary rad feminists because of the fact that so many people have told me that rad feminism in itself is supposed to be trans inclusionary and and not interested in gender and finds the concept of gender incredibly so i think they're just transphobes and we shouldn't allow them to use the term feminist if they don't include Mm -hmm. trans people there's no such thing as a transphobic feminist in my opinion, well, yeah, so I think it's exactly. important just to like we're just calling them transphobes. They don't get to have oh, any um, any other kind of uh, any other kind of title. I think other than just Agreed. ignorant bigots. Um, <laughs> so some of the tactics that you're going to have seen maybe on social media uh, it, are people using maybe four to six examples of scenarios in which a an identify someone who identifies as trans has perhaps molested or attacked uh, a cis woman. And and um, in history, right? We have a handful of these cases, and those same cases are circulated again and again and again and again and again, and again in a tactic to create hysteria, especially amongst cis and predominantly white middle class women. Right now, this is mm-hmm. something that has been used against my people after nine eleven. Uh, from nine eleven onwards, uh, we would take a couple of cases of horrifying extremist uh, monsters who would identify uh-huh. as though they are from Islam and yet would do things that did not represent Muslims. And uh-huh. then all Muslims would suddenly be cast in the same way. Yeah. And still to this very day, we are all racially profiled. I'm not even Muslim, but because I look like one, I have a Muslim surname, I'm racially profiled every at uh, every airport uh-huh. I go to. And all of us have to deal with consistent racism. The same thing has happened with black people. They will take a couple of people and use the same stories again and again and again to the point where there are so many white people out there who just think all oh, mm-hmm. black people are into gangs and drugs. Exactly. And theft it's such and it's, a classic it, tactic.
2: Yeah, if you boil it down, these are segregation laws. Mm-hmm. It's using exactly the same tactics as was used with black people, um, with Jim Crow and <sighs> um, toilet segregation. There was the narrative at that time that black men and women were by nature violent and aggressive and um, had the potentiality to attack or kill a white woman. So white women um, rallied and said that we don't want Black women in our toilets. So that segregated them. Um, but this is exactly the same kind of thing. Mm. It's saying that trans women are by nature sexual abusers or pedophiles. You know, I was working with a charity and um, they set up a shell organization to um, rally to get me out of that
1: Position. What's a
2: shell organization? So it's a pretend organization. It's um, it's like uh, like a trap house, like kind of you know, like say <laughs> it's like say, it's like pretending that something is something that it's not. Right. So they pretend it. They pretend to be an organization of concerned parents, but really they're um, an abusive um, ring of um, transphobes that go after yeah. and attack. Um, people um, that are trans in positions of power. I
1: cannot imagine what it's like for you. And I'm really sorry for the things that people say to you and i'm really glad that you not only call it out but you showcase it on your social media and i think that that's incredibly important and you put yourself at immense risk just by being a public figure and i really appreciate you because jesus christ i mean just since i have been vocally vocally heavily like die hard pro the rights of trans people in the last five or six years i have never i have never been flooded with this much abuse this many death threats i cannot imagine and i'm a Privileged as hell, cis woman. So I cannot imagine what it must be like. And I would like for you to please explain that to our uh to our listeners, because all we keep hearing about on social media, the 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 fucking loudest people just keep on presenting how much danger people are in from trans people, allegedly. I would love for people to, if you don't mind, if it's not too painful, for you to explain the kind of shit that you get. On a daily basis, and the way that you were treated, the way that you have to walk through this world, because that's the perspective yeah. we don't hear enough about, because we don't have enough uh, trans women or black trans women in particular in positions of power mm. to have 14 million followers to say these things to.
2: Well, the issue really is, you know, when we're speaking about black transgender women, um, the issue is is that we experience misogyny, racism. And transphobia. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be three sets of, um, abusers that are going to be coming after you. And I say abusers because the tactics of, um, these oppressive, um, people is, um, you know, to whittle you down to the point where you can't take it anymore. And, um, you know, there, it's unfortunate, but they're employed by the press. They're employed by the media. So they've got that backing. They've got millions behind them. They've got, you know, the standing as the news um, and people read it and they believe it. So um, I'll be attacked personally on my social media, but I'll also be attacked um, in my places of work. Um, they'll turn up to, if I do a speech, then I got followed to Wales once in Aberystwyth, which is in the middle of nowhere. They followed me to Wales to ask me a question. And um, yeah, basically insinuated that I um, am a paedophile sympathiser because I support a kid that does drag. It's, it's completely mind numbing, but unfortunately, um, a lot of people believe them because they're middle class white women largely and middle class white women are believed when they say that there's a, an issue, especially with a trans woman who up until recently, you know, trans women haven't been seen as just, you know, human. Mm-hmm. We've, we, you know, and we're still not because the government's telling us to get out of the um, women's toilet, but not offering us any gender-neutral toilets, not offering any form of solution to that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, if they were to say, oh, well, we- you can't have this space, but we're going to provide you with other spaces, that's fine. But... They're not doing that. They're just saying, off you go. We don't care where you go, but you're not using the um, toilets that you identify No, and
1: I got into a little bit of heat uh, this week because I was talking about the fact, I was talking to white women and middle-class privileged women and 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 specifically the most transphobic people online who spread this hate and spread this uh false rhetoric i was saying that they have a responsibility in how they speak as to how trans people are treated in society and immediately i was accused of uh victim blaming or not just victim mm-hmm. blaming but blaming women for the actions of men. And I feel like this is another really yeah. dangerous narrative that's gone on throughout time is that women suddenly hold their hands up and they're like, well, you know, you can't blame us for what they did. We have to, it's empowering for us to recognize that women have a huge influence on our society, mm. especially now more than ever. But also you can trace this back to the times of, of the worst of the most blatant racism, obviously it's towards black people specifically. Yes. Maybe perhaps it was men who were doing the physical lynching. But there were white women who were enabling that, who were encouraging that rhetoric, who were Mm fear-mongering their own children, fear-mongering their husbands, making false accusations. They weren't rallying against it.
2: No, but it is also also white women calling the police, you know, to get people killed. And that's still happening today. And so
1: it's not just about whose finger is on the trigger. It's also about the people who contribute to the entire narrative. And I think that that's something that Mm -hmm. I'm doubling the fuck down on. And I and I mm-hmm. think it's really important that we take accountability and recognise the, the, the power of our words and how easy it is to poison the well and make people fear each other. I mean, it's one of the biggest tactics used to divide and conquer all of us. The government do it often yep. literally, as you said earlier, just to distract us. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I uh, I'm sticking to my guns. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, for anyone who had an <laughs> issue with that, we love to see it.
2: We love to see week. it last <laughs> week.
1: And, and it's just it's a pattern throughout history. And white women have tremendous, you know, Lizzo said it really beautifully, where she was like, she wasn't even trying to, uh, sh- she was trying to appeal in the most empathetic way she could. Where she was just like, white women, you have so much power. You have so much ability to create space for us at the table. Just do it. Use it use your privilege and I wish more people mm-hmm. would do that so that everyone could be safe and for whatever it's worth I have only received the most love the most acceptance the most kindness and felt the most safe amongst the trans community if there's anyone who well
2: we're a great community you're a great community um, I'm so I'm so I'm really thankful to be trans you know yeah. because I I said the other like a couple of years ago that that Problem with being trans isn 't being trans isn 't that 's not, not what 's difficult mm-hmm. about it it 's other people so i i 'm so thankful for my community i 'm so thankful that I get to understand the world through a a trans lens because we we can see through so much. We can see through gender. We can see through sexuality a lot of the time. We can see the fluidity of identity in a way that is lived and real. Um, And I I really feel like it's a gift. And if you go back through history to ancient times before colonialism invaded the world and enforced the Western idea of um, gender identity being attached to biology and genitalia, which isn't the case if you move through the world. If you go through to um, ancient um, South Asia, if you go through to Native Americas, to indigenous Mm -hmm. lands, to um, Polynesia, um, all of these places had trans people Mm -hmm. in one way or another. Um, And we were revered as spiritual guides and we could see past um, all of, you know, the the bullshit in society. Uh, because we we've got you know both aspects or um, a fluid approach to our identity, and it's just such a shame that people don't understand that transphobia, homophobia, and racism are all legacies of white supremacy.
1: Mm-hmm. And Angela Davis, uh, there was a video of her that circulated this week talking about the fact that, was that I loved that video so much, and I cannot paraphrase it for fucking shit. So all I will try and say is just <laughs> the fact that she was talking about, and perhaps you can actually do a better job of me than this, but I will start you off in the fact that women should be looking to trans people and trans yeah. women in particular for guidance and feminism as though they, they are the people who are most uh, exhibit resilience and they exhibit uh, freedom. They they defy the the rules, quote unquote, of our society. And they take what is rightfully theirs. They fight against the system of patriarchy harder than anyone else. And so women mm-hmm. can learn so much from trans women in the nature of the fact that they do not tolerate being told who to be, how to behave, how mm-hmm. to dress. You are at the forefront of the core of what feminism is supposed to be. Well, we always
2: have been, you know, trans trans women are on the front lines in every single way, you know, Um, a lot of us are forced into sex work uh, in one way or another, whether or not it be because people won't employ us or um, literally forced into sex work with circumstances. Um, And I believe that sex workers are on the front lines and need the most access to feminism. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is the difference between Black feminism and intersectional feminism, which was a term coined by a Black woman, and white feminism. And white feminism is, is based on a hierarchy and is oppressive because it's only accessible to white, straight, cis women mm. um you know it's, it's such a shame and then obviously lesbians have been brought into the fold um over time um but that hasn't always been the case so um I just want people to you need to identify the source of things yeah once you identify the source of something you can deconstruct it Absolutely. but once you just think that you know you you think that racism goes both ways or you think that um we're, that there's no sort of hierarchy in society, then you can't deconstruct that because you can't acknowledge privilege. You can't see, um, you know, where you fit into the deconstruction machine. Um, Activism no longer has its hold because nobody knows what role they play within that. Mm. So um, it's all about identifying the source.
1: Also, I mean, speaking... Speaking of lesbians, uh, one of the other arguments that we're seeing being made repeatedly online is uh, are uh, lesbians, in particular gender critical lesbians, saying that they they do not want trans women allowed onto their dating websites because then they are being forced to date and have sex with them. That is not... The case. Uh, You don't have to meet up with or have sex with anyone you don't want to on a dating website. And if you meet up with someone and perhaps you didn't know what height they were, what age they really were. I mean, there are people using their profile photos from 19 fucking seventy-five. You know, they're like, (laughs) (laughs) there's all kinds of different things on there that you wouldn't expect or don't know about. You don't have to sleep with anyone. The idea that you are then forced or obliged is such a ridiculous attempt at Uh, Again, making this a hysterical and absurd issue. And I think it's really important to also be very explicit about what, specifically for a black trans woman, what the current life expectancy is.
2: Current life expectancy was, as far as I know, is 35 years old. Mm. And... um, yeah, that means that I've got two years left, which not on oh my fucking um, watch. You don't.
1: No, you don't. Uh, <laughs> we must protect well, Monroe burgers I mean, at all costs. Um, well,
2: this is it. Like I've, I've access to privilege now, which, um, allows me to, um, but at the same time, I'm very much on the front lines and aware of my safety. So even though I've access to privilege mm-hmm. with money, when it comes to, you know, me walking down the street or speaking in a public event, I'm very aware of the fact that that event has been advertised. And if somebody wanted to do something to me, then yeah. they could. So I'm always hyper aware of my safety. And like I was, um, you know, I was sexually, um, I was raped. Um, in my own bedroom, by a man who I slept with. And um ever since then, I've always been very aware of the fragil- fragility of my existence, and how it's usually the men that can't deal with their Attraction or feelings towards transgender women are the ones that kill us. So
1: you were saying this was someone you'd been in a sort of relationship with before who then came in. I and had attractive. a one night
2: stand with him. We we had a one night stand and, they, and yeah. he um stalked me over a period of six months and then broke into my bedroom when he was high on cocaine and um locked me in my bedroom for two hours and raped me.
1: Oh Monroe. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I
2: mean so like when I speak about what trans women and black trans women go through, yeah. I I couldn't be, I, you know, I might not have been here if something else had gone wrong, you know. Yeah. But I ma- I managed to escape, and um, you know, I'm I'm hyper aware. I'm hyper aware. Yeah, and of I, what I, what's happening exactly.
1: And the reason I keep bringing up some of the like arguments that other people bring is because I want the person who i think is the most qualified of anyone i've ever met to debunk them with me and again finally on that uh, there are people who say well you know the life expectancy is sometimes uh, so low because uh, they have mental health issues and that in itself implies that trans being trans in itself gender dysphoria these things are are mental health issues it shows that there's something wrong with them it's like no no you idiot mm-hmm. how can you not see the cause rather than just the symptom how can you not see that if you ostracize people you demonize people you slander them and you you literally like otherize them and push them out of protected spaces
0: mm-hmm.
1: what do you think you take away their ability to get hired you take away their ability to date you do all of these things you do, you dehumanize them in every particular in every possible way what do you think someone's mental health is going to be like trans is not the cause of a mental health issue or the symptom of a mental health issue it is just, mm-hmm. I'm not telling you this. I'm telling the listeners this. No, for all the they, people who follow me and see these dickheads in my timeline, I want to clarify these things that I can't do in 280 no, words. No, uh, 280, sorry, characters. <laughs> I wish there was 280 fucking words on Twitter. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for clarifying a lot of those points for me. And I really appreciate it. And thank you for being so open. And again, we must protect you at all costs because you and women like you are so important, especially to me and to all of us. Okay, we're going to go to a quick break and then we're going to come back. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp,
0: H-E-L-P.com slash iWay. Want to make Mom's Day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because...
1: so it feels quite late in the game to start talking to you about this now. But what has your journey through transition been like? How old were you when you, you were certain that you had been misgendered at birth?
2: So I didn't really have a eureka moment. I didn't really have a moment where I was like, oh my God, this makes sense. It was more like I've always known and I was in denial or I didn't know that I could transition. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, I always dreamt about, oh, who would I be if I was a girl or like a woman? And, you know, what would I want to be like? What would I want to look like? You know, who, who would I model myself on? And, um, I just kind of pushed it to the back of my head because I didn't think that I could ever do it. So when, um, and also the idea of transitioning, you know, I only really saw trans people when they were on Jerry Springer being completely heckled by the crowd and, yeah. or um, on Coronation Street with Hayley Cropper. Um, who's, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, who's lovely. Yeah. He's, he was a lovely character, but she wasn't played by a trans woman. And also she was like a 30 year old woman and I was like a 16 year old child so that she didn't appeal to me and then um, there was like the trans women that would be murdered on CSI um, so really the narrative oh and Nadia on Big Brother who was absolutely lovely but also not like you know the kind of woman that I can not see myself not accessible as. yeah to you she just was she wasn't you know she wasn't a black trans woman She. I couldn't see myself in her um, but she was fabulous uh, so it just didn't really seem like something that was possible for me um until i moved away from the family home to go to university and i met my first transgender friend and she was just so beautiful and normal and that was the thing that got me mm-hmm. not that she was beautiful but be- that she was normal and she worked for a bank and um i just thought oh my god so you can be stunning great knew that kind of anyway but you can have a normal life and be fulfilled and have friends and be close with your family. And all of these things, she just really opened my mind um, to the fact that I could have that for me. So I think that I've always known that I was trans, but I was so petrified and traumatized by society telling me that I could never do it and that I should never do it. I put it to the back of my mind. So I transitioned when I medically when I was 23 that was after you had to go through the
1: two-year protocol that you were discussing earlier. well I
2: didn't I didn't actually do that because um I'm very very impatient (laughs) and um I actually took my friend's hormones um which is something that a lot of trans women do wouldn't recommend it but unfortunately because the waiting times are so long and they're like you need to live as your gender your desired gender they say uh for two years without hormones before we give them to you god that's a long time which is so long and also really traumatizing Mm -hmm. and i was like no i'm I'm just gonna get this going um which is dangerous because no one was monitoring me taking those hormones um but this is again you know why we need to be addressing access for transgender women because the system forces us into these situations where we're taking our lives in our own hands. Mm -hmm. Um, So to make it easier for transgender women to um, transition is literally saving lives. And the government aren't willing to do that, Mm. which is, they've got blood on their hands.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really important to say that you wouldn't Advise doing that, but also to. I yeah. definitely
2: wouldn't advise doing that. No, absolutely not. But I also it's, understand. I, think- I
1: understand the impetus to do so, and also because we live in a society that is so particularly unsafe uh, for trans yeah. people, these hormones and these accesses to surgery, mm. etc., are things that ensure your safety. Because
2: absolutely, I, I just want to say that, like, I always tell the truth when it comes to my. Yeah. My transition. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have, you know, had a squeaky, clean life no. and that I've done everything by the book. Because when society puts you into the place of being black and trans and queer, you need to navigate it however you can. Like you're forced into a position of do or die. And to say that a Black trans woman, who I was very visibly trans at the beginning of my transition, mm-hmm. to say that I had to stay very visibly trans for two years before I was given help, um, before I could take hormones that were life-changing and gender-affirming for me, was extremely cruel to me. So endangered it it endangered mm-hmm. my life. I felt like, oh my God, like, you know, there's two years where I could be potentially attacked, yeah. like raped, and I was raped. Um, and it, it's just, it's it's so blind to the reality of our lived experience. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, that... They want us to be certain. It's not about that. We're certain. If someone's transitioning, the likelihood is that they're not going to detransition. It's another myth that TERFs like to say, is that the majority of trans people um, detransition or that we're just confused. Um, And that's not the case at all.
1: Yeah. Where does that come from? Just-
2: i mean there are people that are confused but there's people that are confused when you know they think that they're queer and then they try it and then they don't then that they're not queer well, they think that but- they're
1: straight and then it turns out that they weren't
2: well exactly yeah. <laughs> they're
1: all but- learning
2: i really don't think that the narrative is is that someone goes all the way through um with the um gender reassignment surgery and then regrets it. No, it's another you know, case of
1: the one or two cases being used and recycled there's always again and going again. To be, yes, exactly. Exactly.
2: There's always going to be one or two cases. It's like Myra Hindley, you mm. know, um burying children in the moors, but she's not a representative for all cisgender white women is Mm -hmm. she so like why is you know why are abusers being used as a representative for an entire community only when
1: they're marginalized we're not told you know yeah i mean the amount of school shooters who happen to be cis and white we're not told to fear all cis white boys or men It's just, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is what it is. So, okay, so was your community accepting of you around that time when you were making that transition?
2: Well, the thing is, is that the very exciting thing is, is that the trans community has come so far since I transitioned uh when I transitioned about 10 years ago oh my god it's been a decade, Jimmy, been a decade. Um, <laughs> um, when I transitioned um there really wasn't the same community as there was now it, it was very much like a competition between girls and <laughs> the way that you know uh, the patriarchy sets it up is that you know we're all forced into competition of who's going to be the most beautiful who's going to get the most men and it was very much like that it was so toxic and then there was around the time of 2015, I feel like, again, it was like a mass awakening and um, Caitlin Jenner came out as trans and Laverne Cox was doing her thing in Orange is New Black mm-hmm. um, a few years before. Karma um, Carrera was talking about transitioning. Um, and there was all of this new representation. And I was at this time, I was like five years into my transition. So it was really took a good five years before I managed to, get that sisterhood that I've always wanted. Um, But when I got it, you know, I'm so proud of my community. And like I said, I love, I love that I'm trans. I would never take it back. I love my transness, I love my blackness, I love my queerness. I'm so happy that I'm queer. Oh my God. What would I do <laughs> if I was not queer? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Honestly, like, no, like it's not even about sex. It's about the community and, you know, to have grown up on the gay scene largely from the age of 17 and to um experience what it's like to be part of a gay family like your chosen family is just incredible and I'm sure that you're seeing that on legendary Mm -hmm. um it's it's the most beautiful thing I'm getting goosebumps right now because like I've got my gay mums I've got my trans mums I've got like um my like gunkles and I'm just very, very lucky to have so many amazing queer people around me. And I've always had queer people around me. Yeah,
1: something that I love about Legendary, which is this show that I'm doing at the moment um, that centres the ballroom community, which has, I'd say, in the majority, Black and Latino, queer or uh, trans uh, participants and community members. Um, what I love is how much we showcase the love of this community and the fact that because they have been otherwise and ostracised, their resilience and their sense of survival and their ensurement of like ensurement I don't know if that's a word, but how much they work to ensure the survival of each other and how much they teach each yeah. other and love each other and accept each other and are honest with each other. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, a lot of people from sort of like heteronormative cis families are probably going to be quite jealous of the amount of love and openness that they see within Absolutely. this community. It's unlike anything I've ever witnessed it's incredible.
2: Yeah. And I, I'm so lucky to have experience. I, I literally think that I'm lucky to be, I wouldn't want to be straight, you know, just because I don't feel like straight people have that community. You know, there's not the straight community isn't thought of as a straight community, even though it is, it's, you know, a, a sexuality. So of course it's a community, but the, the, the love and the support. And the freedom, that's it, the freedom that I've experienced from um, embracing all of myself through um, the queer community is insurpassable.
1: I love that. I love that so much. And I love that you've said that. So, okay. So, a couple of years ago, you became, you decided because you were being able to create a platform for yourself, you decided to move towards being a role model for your community and moving towards activism. And, what year was that and what has that experience been like? Um, I don't actually
2: know. I think it was 2014 yeah. or 15. I think 2014, I started using my voice more and I was like, what, what is going on? Because...
1: I think that was around the time you became a brand ambassador for the first time because you'd been modelling, right? Right.
2: I'd been modelling, doing bits and yeah. bobs, and I was very much involved in like the fashion industry, but I was hired as a trans model. So I was hired very much because of my body. And like I would do shoots and I would be asked, or oh, can you um can you shoot untucked, Like, because we want we want to see all of your transness, we want to see all of your body and Made to feel very much like I was just a body, yeah. not a person. Yeah. And it was quite traumatizing. I actually didn't have the best time modeling. And, um, then I started moving more into like, it, not necessarily influence work, but much more like a spokesperson for mm-hmm. my community to speaking about, um, my experiences being trans and black in London. Um, and I booked a big job for, um, a big Japanese label, um, And then everything just kind of blew up um, after that, and started, you know, going up and up and up. Um, But then around 2016 was when I really found my voice and um, started denouncing actual instances of white supremacy, Mm -hmm. um, such as school shootings and um, the awful um, Charlottesville um, riot um, that turned it well rally that turned into a riot, um, the Unite the Right riot.
1: Exactly. And that kind of brings me to something that you and I have been involved in, in the last couple of weeks, which is you became an ambassador for the brand L'Oreal, I'm calling it a beauty mm-hmm. brand, I guess, because they do all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So um, you became a brand ambassador back in 2017. Is that correct? For L'Oreal, uh, was it 2017? Yes, yes. 20, 2017, yes. Yeah. and September. Yes, and you were their first ever trans spokeswoman, uh, first ever black trans woman ever included as one of their ambassadors. And I remember when that happened and what a huge moment it was and how much love there was uh, amongst the people yeah. that I was following in my echo chamber uh, for your mm-hmm. existence on that campaign. And it was just this history-making wonderful moment. What then happened is during the course of your... And by the way, they, they hired Monroe knowing very much so that she wasn't a very outspoken, didn't pull any punches <laughs> uh, activist uh, whose voice was very much so a part of her entire identity and part of the win of having her associated with your brand. During that time, uh, we had what happened in Charlottesville. I'll let you take it from here as to what happened.
2: So the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally was a white supremacist rally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came largely off of the back of the 2016 election, um, which saw Donald Trump become the president of the United States. And he, in doing so, he emboldened a whole new wave of racist, um, rhetoric, rhetoric yeah. and, um, and people that actively were emboldened by their racism. And, you know, even with, like, the red hat, it became pretty much the new Ku Klux Klan outfit. So, um I've never thought of it like that.
1: Wow. Yeah, go on. I mean, tea. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah. So, yeah, basically, um they were marching with tiki torches. It was really, really grim. Um And it's etched into my mind. Um, all of these white men marching with tiki torches on to anti-racist protesters. Um, I can't remember what they were protesting. I think they were pro- protesting a colonizer statue. Yeah. And um, they drove a car into one of the protesters and it killed her. And I think something in me just split. I was like, I can't deal with our society anymore. And The unwillingness to, for, of white people to confront their own racism and society's racism. And how many white people don't understand that. (laughs) Their entire existence is rooted in racism. And I think that that is what really got people when I was saying all white people are racist because all white people are born into this system, which is white supremacist by nature. So even if you don't realise it, even if you're not consciously racist... Everything that you've ever known is rooted in racism. Um so in the order system that to you live in be... and
1: exist in, by the way, is a racist exactly. system built by in particular black people. Where white exactly. people where they are then not given an equal opportunity to exist. The reason and why progress.
2: the reason why the UK and the US are so rich is because black people have been marginalized and forced to build it for free. Yeah. So um, that's what I was trying to get at. And there was this Narrative that I shouldn't be as angry as I am when speaking about racism. I shouldn't be, you know, as emotional um, when speaking about something that has affected me throughout my entire life. Also, and it is now bubbling over. Exactly,
1: but also it's important to say that these the the things that you said you'd said on your private Facebook and someone who yes. is quote-unquote friends of you on Facebook, screen grabbed it and sent it to the newspaper, someone who wanted to hurt your career because they were probably upset to see you doing so well. Now, this, however... This person, I
2: actually I actually went to university with this person yeah. and they were also posting pictures of Michelle Obama next to a cast member of Planet of the Apes in monkey costumes. Christ. So that's that's what I was up against.
1: Cool, cool person. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. point is, is that a lot of the things that you were saying on that private Facebook are things that we are all saying right now just 3 years later we're I wasn't all saying, saying openly, anything different yeah exactly yeah. you were just ahead of that conversation where we were calling out the 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 fact that silence is violence you were calling out complicity calling out inaction calling out the lack of education of white people about the privilege that they live in and so mm. your statement just was described by facebook it was removed by facebook and described as hate speech against white people which in itself mm-hmm. is hard to process (laughs) well yeah you know what i mean like people try to say that if you were to say that about any other group then that would be considered racist to to create a blanket statement but what you were saying was actually factually correct because of the system of oppression but also there is no history especially not in the west of the or anywhere really of the oppression of white people that is carried along with those words So when this happened, and because that had been sent to also one of the more openly uh, bigoted establishments within the press, uh, they were the ones who received your private Mm -hmm. Facebook post from this person who was trying to harm you um, and and actually putting your life in danger, as we later saw, um, you were dropped very quickly by Laurie. Yeah. And, and yeah. because of the accusation of racism and they very quickly parted ways with you and there wasn't much of a conversation, I guess, between you and them as to... There wasn't a conversation,
2: no. um, unfortunately. Um, I don't feel like people were ready for what I said. What I said, as activists, we've been saying for a very long time and I feel like it just broke out of the echo chamber and um, I feel like it was a moment in which a lot of people started to have these conversations about white white supremacy, mm-hmm. um, whiteness as a concept, and white privilege. And we were now having debates about white privilege on television. I had a number of debates on television mm-hmm. that um, have been circulated for years since. Um, but I, I, I really do feel like, in a way, it helped people to open an, a conversation about race. For sure. And... I don't know. I'm not taking all of the credit, but I do feel like that situation without that situation, I don't know if we would have had a number of the conversations about race that we are having now. Oh, for sure. Um,
1: it was a huge in, moment. in
2: In the UK anyway. Yeah,
1: it was a huge moment. I remember it so clearly. I think that was the first time that I became aware of you and started following you and to sort of like... Sending you beg friend messages uh, <laughs> in your tea. Oh, well, now we're real friends, uh, so it's, it's all good.
2: It worked, Jamila, so, you won. It's like, yes!
1: <laughs> oh, God, it was all worth it. Three long years. Um, okay, so I... Uh, So if anyone who is listening to this follows Monroe or myself or uh, many uh, activists uh, who especially who exist within the queer or trans space online, you may have seen what happened in the last couple of weeks. At the beginning of the protests, L'Oreal posted uh, a supportive message to those who want to speak out. They said speaking out is worth it. And they were talking about donations, big donations that they were making towards people like the NAACP to support those who were protesting against white supremacy. Mm -hmm. At that moment, you decided very bravely to not just sit down and eat that, however positive facing it seemed to be. You wanted to Mm -hmm. make sure that they were called out for the significant hypocrisy of the way Mm -hmm. that people within their same company, it's a giant company. There are loads of different companies within it. There's loads of different employees. But the point is that Mm -hmm. that same company had dismissed you over the same thing they are now encouraging other people to do. This created a shitstorm. Online, And I was very proud of you for doing that. And we all Thank jumped you. in and, um, and then you and I, I guess, kind of got together. And uh, I, because I am, because I'm so, so privileged, and I'm at certain tables and dinners where I'm able to meet the people high up at these companies. Uh, I asked you for your consent. I reached out to them, we, uh, to them personally, and just sort of became like a bridge between you and them for you Mm -hmm. two to have a very honest dialogue because that is the thing that never happens. When we call people out uh, or, you know, kind of the the culture of cancellation takes over, which just... While I support it in some ways, and I think it is vitally important, I think it also gets misused and sometimes doesn't actually result in actual progress, just a sort of quick panic apology from these big brands. I mean, we've been seeing it for the last couple of weeks. It's been a bloodbath where everyone who's tried to post something about Black Lives Matter has immediately had their hypocrisy exposed. And then Mm -hmm. rather than actually do something, institutionally to change it, they just write a, a, a quick, like short apology practically on notes. And post it mm-hmm. online, and then that's the end of that, and no actual well, changes. Exactly.
2: I, f- I feel like we're in the we're in the era of accountability. I feel. I feel like again, as what I said, we're we're not asking for respect; we're demanding it, and we're calling people out. Yeah. And um, hope I want people not just to call people out, though. I'm looking for results. Exactly. I'm looking for companies to, um, you know, put their you know, money where their mouth is and to action what they're saying. We don't just want lip service. We want progress. Yeah,
1: so it was very big of you to be willing to have that conversation with them considering how hurt you've been and the fact that what we haven't mentioned is upon their dismissal of you so publicly, them disowning you and not standing by you in that moment kind of was I mean, it was treated like a green light by bigots to be like, oh, this very powerful establishment is calling her out Mm. and not backing her and not standing by her or educating people about what she's talking about. Therefore, it's open season on this young yeah. marginalized woman and you received death threats for like 6 months like insane death threats and oh, I, all I kinds had, of yeah, abusive I had, I had messages really bad stuff. Yeah, it was really really, really dark bad stuff. and so you were willing to still talk to them because I guess you and I talked about this at the time that we are activists for a reason If we don't believe in change and if we do not want to push for change, then there is no point in actually being, then what are we fighting for? What are we risking our reputations or our safety or our sanity to do this Mm -hmm. if we don't actually want change. And I think that that's still something that we need to move forward on as a society is like, yes, we have to get angry. But then what? What's the next step? So you sat down with the president of the company and you guys had an incredibly open discussion. I was so honoured to be there to watch you speak because you were so bloody moving and composed and passionate. And I also was very impressed by them. And the way that they did listen and Me too. they were the exact opposite of what I thought the people at the top of a giant corporation were going to be like, they are new management. They are new members of that team. And mm-hmm. uh, to give credit to women, yep, two women. Um, and to give credit where credit is due. I, we were both quite surprised at the end of how that went by the fact that I was really surprised. Yeah.
2: yeah, I was really surprised, but pleasantly surprised, especially after, I mean, I I called them out and I was upset. Mm-hmm. I've never seen red like that no. before. No. I was like, you can't, you can't, this, this message of speaking out is worth it, is amazing, great, but you need to acknowledge what's happened in the past yeah, and, walk the walk. and what's happened and walk the walk and, you know, make, make um good of what's happened so um yeah I didn't expect um them to um jump on a call with me I thought that I was just gonna get what people usually get which is you know as as you said um a really shoddy apology with no follow-through but um they reached out and we got on a phone call and um it was a two was hour very zoom much, it <laughs> was a two hour zoom <laughs> yes, yes it, it didn't feel like two hours it felt like yeah. I you know it was I've been waiting for this call for 3 years. Yeah. So it was it was very much like person to person, it was woman to woman. It wasn't like talent to brand. I didn't feel like no. that. I felt like I was speaking to two women who wanted to understand and wanted to make good of the situation. And then they offered me um a a job essentially to um literally come and well not yeah literally (laughs) um to come and um sit on their diversity and inclusion board which is amazing and genius actually um to take their biggest critic of the last three years and say okay well you're 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 a critic of ours but How can we do better? Will you help us do better? And my initial response was like, I don't know. And then I thought about it and I was like, this is what you do. Yeah. This is what you do. You are holding businesses accountable. But if you don't want them to actually do better, then why are we holding people accountable? Exactly, it's exactly what I was saying. It doesn't make any sense. the whole thing that
1: we kind of went back and forth over for a while of just like, then what's the end result? And I think this was amazing. They donated donated to a charity of your choice, one that centres the needs of black trans women. Your position is paid because it's really fucking important that we don't hire activists to come in and do work for giant corporations for free. I think that's really vital. And they issued a a public apology and as well as a personal apology in person. And I hope that we start to see more of this sort of action from these giant corporations who have failed yeah. people tremendously. Because I think I also Absolutely. really felt the power of women coming together. Powerful women coming together. That's amazing. I've never seen anything it was really like amazing.
2: that. And you know what? Also, I want to say um, that w- me and the president have been speaking throughout the week as well. So President of no L'Oreal, not just- Donald Trump. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I thought that was obvious. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the uh, Me and the president of um, L'Oreal have been speaking all week. So it's not like, you know, that they're doing this just to keep up appearances. Exactly. They genuinely want my input and I genuinely want to give it. So um, I'm looking forward to having a relationship with them for the next three years. Yeah.
1: Hooray. Girl power. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also, I think the reason this was important to bring up, even though it has been resolved in its entirety is, uh, currently, is that we're about to see so much more of this. We've already seen the commodification of activism in the last couple of years. It's happened to you. It's happened to all of our friends who are activists. It's even happened to me in my position of privilege. So I, um, we have noticed that it has become trendy to Uh speak out on big issues. And it has also become trendy to center marginalized people. But what we are only now in the last couple of weeks finding out is that those people aren't paid or they aren't paid enough Uh or they aren't protected or brands have no idea about the lived existence of this person. They are just thinking, well, we're doing them a big favor because we're giving them this massive platform. So therefore, A, it doesn't matter that we're not paying them that much, but also it's just good for them. Brands, anyone Uh. listening to this who works within a brand or, you know, who maybe owns their own brand, please understand that when you are taking someone marginalised, they are marginalised because they have been bullied and ostracised by society, that person also needs protection because with all the praise and with all the glory and all of the platform also comes the fact that this person becomes hyper visible to the people who have marginalised them in the first place. And I think that's something Uh that L'Oreal learned. I think that's something that a lot of brands are going to have to learn. And Christ, you and I both know that in the next year, we are going to see more black people and black trans <laughs> people in particular. We're going to see them centered in giant brands or big films or big, you know, and, and very prominent positions, which I think is so fucking great and so important. And we need that. I'm not about like, oh, you're just doing it because it's trying. I don't care. Whatever your motive is, we want the representation. But
2: we want the representation and we want the coin. Exactly. You know, you, and the protection. You, you need to be- the protection and the coins, you need to pay people their worth and you need to protect people because they're worth that, yeah. you know? I feel like there's just the the idea that, you know, you can pay Black people less or that you can pay women less or that you can pay queer people less mm-hmm. because, um, you know, that they're a marginalized demographic or that you think that they've got less impact but really what you're saying is that you you don't see their worth and you don't see Um, you know, you don't see their humanity ultimately, because we need money to live. So um, I think pay people their worth and protect them. Protect
1: them, them, teach them how to manage social media. A lot of these people are being taken from relative obscurity and thrust right into the forefront of people's uh, fame. And as we're seeing this year in particular, especially with everyone off work, uh, it's a more violent Mm -hmm. time than I've ever seen online. So, you know, you really need to make sure that you look after them and that you learn about them and that you hire more people on the inside who can stop it from ever happening again. What happened with you and L'Oreal kind of reminds me of how, when some like teenage boy, let's say, hacks into the Pentagon or the CIA, they more often than not will hire that teenage boy (laughs) to teach them how to not be hacked again. And I feel like that is the yeah. benefit of hiring marginalized people into your companies is like, I will stop you from fucking up again. I will show you your weak spots. I will show yeah. you where your ignorance lies and where you are setting yourself up for your failure and well, their failure.
2: Absolutely. And it reminds me of what Maxine Waters said, um, representative Maxine Waters. Um, she said, I think she said some, something like support controversial voices mm-hmm. because they're the ones that are doing the work. And it's very much that kind of energy is to support the people that are saying the things that a lot of people are afraid to say. Can you
1: quickly tell me how anyone listening to this, who's watching the news cycle right now, who's listening to your story, would like to be a better ally? How do you feel like you would, how, how would you like to see people step up and help?
2: I think step one of being an, a, a better ally is educating yourself. Don't expect other people to educate you. Um, And educating yourself can take the form of, you know, diversifying your feed on a very base level. But trying to, um, you know, go back and again, look at the source look like do your research on history because we're not taught history in an accurate way especially when it comes down to the history of marginalized people Mm -hmm. um you know look if you're going to be an ally to the gay community or lgbt community do your research on why we need things like pride and where pride came from Research the AIDS and HIV epidemic and like what happened with that legislation such as section 28 and what my generation went through living, um, with section 28 when we were in school. Um, or if it's the black community, again, educate yourself so that you can have a conversation, not expect a lecture from, um, or why we need Black lives matter, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so like get yourself up to speed, but also realize that allyship is in your actions. It's not in what you say. It's what you do. So write to your MPs, um, share petitions, um, follow these, follow the activists that are not just raising awareness, but also offering you a resolve. So I love activists like Sean King because he always gives you uh, a tool he always says if you want to help this is what you do and this is what I'm trying to feed much more into my activism and I I put a little line saying what can we do so that people can instantly feel and not just feel but actively do something Mm -hmm. you know it's not enough to just not be racist we all need to be anti-racist as Angela Davis says it's it's really in your actions so um and also you know if you've got children educate your children on this as soon as possible educate them on racism educate them on sexism misogyny transphobia homophobia because ableism etc
1: all these different things exactly
2: exactly because it's really our only chance really is to educate the kids
1: absolutely um
2: so that this stops in its tracks and is a generational problem. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you. That was incredibly clear. And I hope that everyone finds that helpful. And I think that that's also something that is being echoed all around. So if you aren't hearing that information, then you are not following the correct people do not sit in the exactly. comfortable kind of complicity of silence and inaction um, as many of exactly. us have done. And and like I said, I've, I've said this before, I definitely call myself out in all the different communities that I still could have done more from. I do more than maybe some other people in my line of privilege, but there's more I can fucking do uh, and will continue to yes. do.
0: Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th.
1: Thank you so much for all of the things that you have told me and educated me and all of us on. Thank you for your service to your community and also to all communities who learn from you. You are such a precious person, not just to me, but to so many. You are such a hero, such an icon. You will always be remembered <laughs> um, Thank you uh, for the fact that you have committed yourself in spite of so much, so many scary and abusive scenarios you have committed yourself to making sure that no one else has to go through what you've gone through and you walk the walk better than anyone I've ever seen so I love you before you leave will you just tell me what do you weigh Monroe
2: I weigh my purpose Mm -hmm. I weigh um, I weigh my mission you know I I think that I believe that you should leave the world better than you found it And that's what I try to practice. I think the meaning of life is to stand for something and to follow that through. And that's what I want people to look at me and see. You know, I don't, like, I like glamour. I like all of like, you know, like nice things like everybody else, but that's not what I want to be remembered for. Mm. I want to be remembered for what I did. And it's like Maya Angelou said, you know, people will forget what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And I want people to feel hope when they see me, especially Black transgender women, because we've been shat on for so long Mm. and we're finally getting um, the respect and the understanding that we deserve. So I want to be part of that change and I'll do everything that I can to make sure of that.
1: Well, thank you very much, and I will speak to you really soon. Because now we're real friends. You said it. You said it on air. So now it's happened. So you can't take we it We are real
2: friends. <laughs> Listen, we've spoken so much over the last few weeks. Yeah.
1: God, I, <laughs> I feel day. so proud of us for that. I feel so not for talking, but for what we were able to prove to other people is possible. It's and I'm Absolutely. so proud of you. And you did something no, so thank incredibly you. brave. You know,
2: you really did show up for me and I'll never forget that. I, You know, Jamila called me in like the middle of the night. I think it was like 1am mm, yeah, or something sorry. my time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hello. Um, but you know what? You you showed up for me. You have exercised friendship in a way that I've never seen. And um, thank you so much. I'll, I'll never forget I'm that. I'm so
1: fucking ride or die for you. You have no idea, which is weird because we've never met. But as... In whatever way for whatever reason it feels it's so like we weird are, that we've never met we're weird online sisters like we i know i know i feel like i've known you forever um all right well you go about your day have a wonderful rest thank you so much love you bye thank you my darling take care Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I just want to give an extra massive thank you to the people who helped me make this Sophia Jennings, my producer and researcher, Kimmy Lucas, my producer, Andrew Carson, my editor, James Blake, my boyfriend, who made the beautiful music for this show. And now I'd like to leave you by passing the mic to a member of our community sharing their iWay. iWay, being a talented woman in IT. I weigh having the most supportive, loving group of friends. And I weigh being able to overcome some of my darkest days.
0: Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more.